around the time I was nine or 10, I'd gotten this assignment from a teacher and she actually said I did really badly on it because I really made it very abstract. She wanted me to describe an empty room and I described how it was absent of love. It was absent of friendship and and she said, you didn't describe an empty room. And I, but I knew I had done, I knew that I had gotten it right. That was the answer for me. And when my mom read it, she said, you're a writer. And I thought, yes, I am. That's exactly what I'm going to do. And for me, it was like, what am I going to do? Am I going to write short stories? I'm going to write plays. Am I going to write music? Am I going to write poetry? I love poetry. And that's why I love lyrics so much. And you talk about like why you connect to music. For me, it's always about the lyrics. And I think someone like Bruce Springsteen, especially his lyrics are just so profound and they just, they break boundaries and they meet people on that human level where we can connect and say, oh, he gets me. And if he gets me, that means there's other people like me. I'm not alone. And, and that was the main idea I wanted to carry into storytelling. And I said, you know what? A novel is my medium as a writer. I want to write. I want to break boundaries. I want people to understand the human experience better when they encounter my stories. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We are getting off the Bruce train today, though I'm sure he will come up. And we're talking about creativity, and we are talking about writing. And we have a wonderful new friend, Michelle, on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Jesse. I'm so excited to be with a group of people who love music as much as you and your audience do. Yes, thank you. Let's get started. Tell us a little about yourself. I'm Michelle Renee DeBellis. I'm the author of uh, the award-winning novel, The Music We Make. And uh, music is just one of the most important themes in the story. The story is about a young uh, songwriter, musician, who loses his mother in an accident that he survives. And he gets sucked into an opiate addiction, which is both about his emotional pain and his physical pain. And as he's spiraling to rock bottom, his mother sends him a song from heaven. She inspires the song for him to write, and it'll ultimately lead him out of his opiate addiction and his grief. But in the process, as he's struggling to write that, he meets a Hollywood music producer who gives him a, a real run for his money, and he has to produce a hit album, and that just actually makes it much harder to write the one song that will actually help him make peace with his mother's death. I'm sold. <laughs> Sign me up. I, I'm ready to read this now. I love awesome. that story. Um, <laughs> when people talk to me about the podcast, then they go, what do you do? And I say, I, this podcast to me is all about the power and the magic of music, of how it is the soundtrack to our lives and how it is there for us when we need to mourn, when we need to celebrate, when we fall in love, when we get our hearts broke. And so I absolutely adore the idea of this story of, of finding redemption through a song that is sent to him by someone who's gone beyond. That's well, just Jesse, lovely. Your description is beautiful because it is the soundtrack of our lives and it is something that we need to both 
have with us to celebrate the good times, but also get through the tough times. I remember as a teenager, there were certain songs that I would just put on repeat and just cry and cry. And I don't know what I would have done without them. And the cool thing about my novel, The Music We Make, is it's it's based on a real song. And the song is called Bird of Paradise. And it's a song that you can download on Spotify. You can download on Apple Music, anywhere you stream music. And my husband began writing the song when he lost his mother suddenly. And he spent years writing it. And it's a piano ballad. So I always love all the pieces of Bruce's music that had the piano in it. And he, my husband had worked on it for years. And part of my inspiration to write the book was to help him come over the creative blocks that were preventing him from allowing this piece of music to come through him. And so when I finished the final draft of the novel, my husband finished the song and that was so special to me. So you've got to listen to the song. It's just absolutely gorgeous. I will include a link in the show notes. That sounds perfect. All right. So let's I always like to start at the beginning. And so I'm going to do this twice with you. Okay. I love doing this with writers. First off, what kind of music did your family listen to when you were younger? Did you grow up in a family with where there was music around? Absolutely. My, I remember the first music that I fell in love with was, was Michael Jackson and Billie Jean. And my parents loved rock and roll. They, they loved like Crosby, Stills and Nash. And the, the fun thing is, is that Crosby's son, David Crosby's son, James Raymond, actually produced the song Bird of Paradise. And we got to work with James Raymond, Crosby's son, to, to create the music. But they listened to a lot of rock and roll. I grew up listening to my first album that I ever owned was Nirvana and the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Guns N' Roses. And I absolutely, absolutely loved U2. This is in the 90s. So that was my the music that really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. And so you've, you're a writer. Mm-hmm. So did you grow up reading? Were you a house full of readers? My mom was always a big reader. I started really reading um, when I was like 17. I would read these great big giant important novels. My mom always read historic fiction and she always um, wanted to to write. And I would read these books and I would think, God, I'm going to be a writer, but I want to write something important. I want to write something meaningful. I want to write something that has an impact. And, and that was one of the reasons why my mom didn't write, because she didn't feel like she could live up to some of the great authors that she read and that she grew up reading. And I thought, I'll just grow. You know what I mean? Like, as I started to write, and I was like, oh, okay, it's really not as good as I was hoping. I just thought, I'll just keep going. I'll just keep growing and putting my work through the fire. And so that was the most important thing for me as a writer. Do you, I, I do think that's a common misconception that... I'm not going to be very good at it, so I'm not going to try at all. Versus no one's good at Very few people pick up an instrument and are immediately good, right? right? Yes. Uh, most pe- very few people pick up a pen and write a great American short story or a wonderful song. It takes practice and it takes work. And I th- that's... I think that's a good lesson for people to learn is to to just get out there and do it and just right. to try and it will be bad, right? I've talked yes. to people all the time, right? Yes, <laughs> your first book is going to be bad, right? <laughs> but your first okay. draft anyways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And to go through that. Did you know you always wanted to be a writer? 
Absolutely. From the time I was a kid, I just, I was always narrating in my mind at my surroundings and things that were going on around me. And around the time I was nine or 10, I'd gotten this assignment from a teacher and she actually said I did really badly on it because I really made it very abstract. She wanted me to describe an empty room and I described how it was absent of love. It was absent of friendship and and she said, you didn't describe an empty room. And I, but I knew I had done, I knew that I had gotten it right. That was the answer for me. And when my mom read it, she said, you're a writer. And I thought, yes, I am. That's exactly what I'm going to do. And for me, it was like, what am I going to do? Am I going to write short stories? I'm going to write plays. Am I going to write music? Am I going to write poetry? I love poetry. And that's why I love lyrics so much. And you talk about like why you connect to music. For me, it's always about the lyrics. And I think someone like Bruce Springsteen, especially his lyrics are just so profound and they just, they break boundaries and they meet people on that human level where we can connect and say, oh, he gets me. And if he gets me, that means there's other people like me. I'm not alone. And and that was the main idea I wanted to carry into storytelling. And I said, you know what? A novel is my medium as a writer. I want to write. I want to break boundaries. I want people to understand the human experience better when they encounter my stories. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Is So I take it this is your first novel? It is. Okay. And as you said, the first draft maybe was struggle. <laughs> uh, did Is this the inspiration? Your, was your husband going through the grief? Is that where the, yes. the gem of I, the idea watching came from? Him, watching him grieve his mother's sudden death and watching him put that intense emotion into music, but then reaching this block where there was so much more that needed to happen on an emotional level for him to be able to finish the song. My book ultimately was a guide to show him this is the way out. This is the way here. And so that's why it was so special to me, one, that he was able to finish the draft alongside my seventh draft since I wrote the book and wrote the book again. As I said, I was so it was so important to me to put it to the fire. But it was incredibly special 
as I read all of the the reviews, to hear people talk about how the book is so much like a guide through grief and through the intense process of grieving and how important it is to go through that process. And, And it meant a lot to me that people saw that I was able to guide him through that and, and that they looked at it that way. That made it feel very important to me. When you started writing it, did you think that would be, was your, obviously you want to tell a story. Is it during the process you realized that a good way to tell the story is to go through this process with my main character? Is that it helped to you know, feel the story? The, I <sighs> It's a funny thing because there were so many things that I wanted to do, but one of the things I was learning as I kept writing the book is that story has to come first. Story is so important. And that's what I love about some of Bruce Springsteen's music too, is that it tells a story. You know what I mean? There's this story embedded in his lyrics that make you want to know more and make you want to listen over and over again and get to the heart of what that story is. And for me, the story always had to come first. Whatever lessons could be embedded in that story as the the pages turned themselves because you were so pulled in by it, then that message was going to be there for whoever needed it. And so in some of the reviews, if you read them, some people talk about how this is a story of fame and this is a story of achieving your dreams. And other people talk about this is a story of overcoming addiction. This is a story of overcoming grief. And so what those people needed from this story, because it's so complex and so layered, they took from it. And I really appreciate that it is being understood on such a faceted level. Yeah, Michelle, it's very easy for there to be a ABC after school special where drugs are bad, or (laughs) this is and and I love your statement story serve the story. If you serve your characters, if you respect your reader and tell a good story, then you can, in the process of telling that story, give examples and and do teaching and help study, but it doesn't work unless they want to learn more about these characters. Exactly. Exactly. It's only... It can only serve the story if it enhances the story. You cannot preach from the pages of a novel. You just can't do it. But if it's just a part of the story experience, then you put the book down and you go, I get it. Or they understand me. And part of my my goal was to help people empathize and sympathize with people who experience opiate addiction because it's such an intense thing and such an epidemic in our country. When I, many years ago, before I wrote the novel, I was in a difficult car accident and had several surgeries in one year and was prescribed Vicodin prescription after Vicodin prescription. And at the same time, my dad had an injury that they couldn't operate. It was too close to the end of his brainstem. And so they were just prescribing him opiate, you know, um, prescription after opiate prescription. And I watched the the pandemic begin, what the way that doctors were prescribing these medicines, the way they're still prescribed, although things have changed dramatically, and I'm grateful for that, but the process has been very difficult for the people that, you know, that these drug companies got hooked on these drugs. And so I just really wanted people to empathize with how you get so addicted to these drugs. Because like you said, you can watch an ABC special that says drugs are bad and drug users are bad. But until you understand how addicting these drugs are and how much they numb emotional pain in addition to physical pain, it's easy 
to be judgmental against those people. And what, what people who are experiencing those addictions need more than anything is human connection, the kind of human connection that comes from music and collaborating with music and from being understood and respected in the middle of your pain and not judged and, and cast outside. Yeah, I just did an episode with um, a wonderful writer, Jeannie Burke, that wrote her son uh, died of opiate addiction. And and she has written a book about grieving. And it's more of a nonfiction mm-hmm. dealing with and how to deal with grief. And so I do think that there is the stigma of, we talk about having this addiction, but it is something that we're all addicted to something. Yes. Uh, my, I certainly could use less calories in <laughs> for health reasons. My wife would probably tell you I'm obsessed or addicted to podcasting. <laughs> and the idea of going through that journey and sharing that while also making us enjoy the characters, it sounds like a great purpose. It sounds like something that's really, you had a vision of that, and it sounds like you're really happy how it came out. I'm very proud of the book, and I'm very proud of the reviews that are on Amazon and Goodreads, and I hope you all check those out and get a copy of the book, of course. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So let's talk a little more music. You mentioned you have a wide range, and you did share you were listening to a little bit, Bruce, getting ready for the podcast. But when you're not getting ready for the podcast, what are you listening to right now? These days, I've been listening to a lot of pop music. My my book, The Music We Make, the it's a pop music kind of a book. The, yeah. So I go through periods of listening to new music, and I go through periods of just I have my playlist, and I'm listening to the same thing for years and years. I like having that comfort of when I put on a playlist, it's going to be music that I know and that I expect. And so I think I have, oh gosh, let me look and see what I've got that I'm listening to these days so I can tell you what they are the playlist that i listen to the very most let's see we've got the weekend and maroon five and dua lipa and <laughs> one republic and ed sheeran and some elton john and more dua lipa and, and the cannons and new order and adam lambert <laughs> did did you listening to pop music did was that part of the way you fueled the creative process as you were writing a book about pop music? It was. It was really important to me to to listen to a lot of pop music at the time. And I've just kept doing that since I've been in that process. But the character, the main character in the story is actually a classical pianist. And so there was always a lot of classical music that I was listening to as well. But in, in one of the drafts of the novel, I included a lot of song lyrics and and I even titled all of the chapters with song titles and, and try to keep the theme of that song in keeping with the theme of that chapter. And my editor said to me, Michelle, I really want you to have there to be a lot more original material and stop focusing so much on, on lyrics that already exist. And then on top of that, as I was working on getting the copyright approval to include those lyrics in the book, it was much more challenging than I thought it was going to be. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, and so I ended up going back, even in the final moments, I had just a few songs. I think I had some lyrics by John Legend and and, um, Matchbox 20 that were in the book. And I just said, you know what? Just take them out. Just I just 
I'm just going to edit them out. And I'd already done the audible, which was so much fun. I did the narration for the book. And so I called up my editor there and I said, that's it. Let's cut it so that we can just edit those parts out and make it seamless because it's just too much trouble to keep the lyrics in there. But the music of the book is so important. And a lot of people and a lot of people in the reviews have talked about how lyrical the prose is and how you can feel the music of the story all throughout the story. And the song, Bird of Paradise, which is that real song I mentioned that he's writing throughout the book is really symbolic of his journey through his grief and his addiction. And so as it's coming together, we get little pieces of it throughout the book. And then in the Audible, there's just the piano version, which is a bonus uh, track on the Audible. And then of course, like I said, you can download it on Spotify. But the piano version is so nice because that was really the soundtrack in my mind while I was writing the book. And and in the music we make movie version, which I'm working on, um, that song will ultimately be the score that it kind of moves throughout the entire movie. Mm-hmm. It, so the it, it appears the book has been very successful. So that's gotta be a thrill. It is thrilling and it's wonderful because you're talking about respecting the reader. And when I would be working and focusing on Michelle, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to say? What do you want to happen here? How do you want people to experience this? How do you want your real readers to feel when they read this chapter or this paragraph? There was this understanding or this feeling of this group of people that were eagerly awaiting this visceral experience of reading the book. And I was always very respectful of how people would feel and how satisfied they would be in each paragraph that I was Mm -hmm. writing in the book because it just felt like I'm this is for them and in my mind that group of people that imaginary group of readers was was a very big group of readers (laughs) it was a a very big part of the world and I've been so excited because the book has gotten a lot of literary awards and gotten a lot of great attention But I'm just saying to just have to keep going, just to keep going, because that audience that I was imagining, like I said, is in the millions and I haven't reached the millions yet. So (laughs) that's what I'm working on. Give the title of the book again. The Music We Make. Available everywhere where the books. uh, Available at at Barnes and Noble, available at Amazon on both Kindle and Audible, paperback and hardcover. I am most grateful if you order it from my website, mrdbooks.com. And that's MRD, my initials, Michelle Renee DeBellis. Um, and um, because I made this beautiful hardcover, I don't know if you can see it, if it's going to be backwards on here, but it's got okay. this beautiful, oh, I have my my thing on, but it's- That's okay. I can see it. Gold foil. Yeah. And it's just gorgeous. I was so pleased with the way it turned out. And the only way to get them that okay. cover is from my website directly. So <laughs> what did you learn about yourself in writing the book? Oh, God. You know, there were times where I felt like if all that this book does is help me understand myself in the way that I'm beginning to understand myself, then it will have served its purpose. Because at each draft, I felt like I was just peeling back more and more layers of my own experience and and working to heal some of the traumas of my youth, and uh, especially like my teenage years. And I would say to myself, oh, that's why it's been so important for me for Kitty and Santiago to have this experience because of this trauma that I had in high school. Or, you know, it was very much about that for me, as is my my the novel that I'm working on now, which is really about 
more about like food addiction and finding harmony with the relationship with your body and with food and with exercise. And I think is a really valuable story. But in thinking about how I'm healing myself with this novel, it's even deeper. I'm going even deeper than I did with the music we make. Mm-hmm. Do you, obviously you're pretty proud of it. One of the things that often writers will say is art is never finished. It's just abandoned. So (laughs) obviously you're happy with the final product, but are there things you're still in the back of your mind go, ugh. It's funny you say that because I was listening to one of the chapters of the Audible. I was like on my phone and I just clicked on in the car and I was listening and I was like, why did I make her do that? (laughs) And I, someone had written once that finishing a novel is like trying to tuck all eight arms of an octopus into bed. You get some in and another one pops out and it's never really finished, but you at some point say, that's it. My time on this project is coming to an end. And when I was working with my editor and saying, is it finished? I'd gotten to a point and he said, Michelle, the relationship with his father, it isn't up to snuff with the rest of it. You made the improvements here and here, but this isn't good enough. You need to go back and do that. I'm like, yeah, I did. I went back and did it and I sent it to him and I said, I think it's been achieved. And he said, it has been achieved. And when we said that, I said, that's it. I'm not going to keep going and keep going. You know what I mean? Because at some point, like you say, perfection isn't the point. Art isn't about perfection. So there's a famous story for Springsteen fans that Bruce had worked on the album Born to Run that Mm -hmm. because his first two albums were got some critical buzz but didn't sell a lot and so his third album it was put up or shut up the record company (laughs) wanted something and so they ended up he finished the album born to run and when they he listened to it he hated it oh he was throwing away the tapes He's like, nope, none of it works. We got to start all over. And supposedly the people around him, no. And then, so he ended up just fine, put it out. And then of course it was his first critical acclaimed. And so I do think that, and it was the guy who created Babylon 5, J. Michael Stravinsky. He's always talked about that. He says, art is never finished. It's just abandoned. And my buddy, Tom, I have a friend, Tom Zoller, who um, is a storyteller, he's an artist, and he talks about he would never get a tattoo because Mm -hmm. as an artist, he would have to design it. And Mm -hmm. there's never been anything he drew that he wasn't unhappy with six months later. (laughs) Right, right, I love it. (laughs) So yeah, I can get that. I could see how that is. So a new novel, tell me about what what are you working on? So my new now, I'm, I've been playing around with a new title as I'm working on it, uh, The Shadow of Ambition. And it's oh, that's really a great about title. Staying, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you, I'm glad you say that because I'm testing it out. Um, yeah. It's about the importance of staying close to our passion, but not falling into its shadow, falling into the dark side. And in this case, the story features a ballerina. And, and so they have such an intense uh, relationship with their bodies and because of the physicality of their jobs, but also this intense demand to be as thin as possible, which makes eating such a psychological thing. It's one thing when you, like you're talking about, there's this addiction to calories and like having more than you have, but when it becomes so psychological, it just goes to another level. And so it's really about her overcoming 
her demons associated with food and of course the drugs that go along with appetite suppressant that so many girls fall into. It's ultimately going to be, all those stories going to really be the thing that is the most important. I really want it to be a guide to help people build a better relationship with their bodies and find harmony with their bodies. Because for me, as a young person, I experienced so much of that, I think in the sense that all young women do. And then I got into martial arts when I was uh, about 19, and it completely changed my understanding of my relationship with my body. And I, I wanted to give that to people in this novel. Yeah, that's that sounds important sounds very much important so besides the novel what's next what do you want to do what's some goals i the novel is the big goal i think the thing that is really exciting to me is taking the music we make to the big screen and i always wrote it always intended it to be a movie and so that is one of my biggest goals is getting it into made into a movie and and then there will be a lot of music that needs to be written i don't write the music but it's going to be about me getting my husband I'm going to have him because he wrote The Bird of Paradise, working on the soundtrack. And what I tell him, because he's the businessman in the family, is you need to give yourself permission to be an artist because you are an artist at your heart. And that's one of the reasons it took you so long to write this song. So if you're going to write this whole soundtrack and the other songs that are going to be ready for the movie, you're going to need, I'm going to have to be reminding him that daily. (laughs) And I do think that we often wear two hats or multiple hats. Mm -hmm. And it is, especially when you are trying to be there for the family and do that, to give yourself permission to be an artist, to do that. That's a freedom you're, that's good. You're giving him that and reminding him of that. Yeah. And it's important too, because I expect him to give it to me because what the difference between me before I wrote my novel and now is that I do give myself permission to be an artist. And for me, it's I take my magic hour. For me, that happens to be the morning. I'm an early riser. And I say, no one can tell me what I can or can't do at 5 a.m. So if I'm up at 5 a.m. when I'm most creative, doing the things that matter the most to me, then I am a better person for it in every aspect of my life, especially when I'm with my family. And I think that he is too, when he gives himself permission to be an artist. Absolutely. This is great. I I can't (laughs) wait to read the book. I'm very excited. This sounds like a a wonderful story. So where are you, where are you in the process of getting it picked up to be a film? I am in the early stages. I'm working on getting a trailer made which I can then work on getting, just attracting a great director and and maybe a star too. I feel like if I could just get a couple stars, I have in mind a couple of people, which are just like my my super sure. excited, yeah. wonderful, wonderful. But I don't know if you're familiar with Elizabeth Debicki, but she played Princess Diana in the series that was on Netflix. Um, gosh, I don't even remember the name, but she was absolutely incredible in it. And she was also, she was in the movie, The Man from Uncle. She played the Victoria and she was just so fantastic in it. And she's just gorgeous. I think she'd make a wonderful Kitty Holiday. And I think Mina Masood, who played Aladdin, would make an incredible Santiago because he's a great singer and a great dancer. And I need a great singer for this part. I love it. I love it. That's great. What should I have asked you that I have it, Michelle? Uh, let's see. Oh, goodness. You've been a great host. You've asked a lot of great questions. Thank I've you. Been, I've been excited about them. Um, I, I, 
ask me some more questions about music. Some of the questions that you, you usually yeah, talk about. Yeah, yeah. Talk about what are, do you, who are some of your favorite bands to see live? When you get to go, do you get, do you like going to live music? I do go into live music. I haven't gone out as a writer. I'm an introvert and I'm like, it's really easy for me to stay at home. When you were asking, you were sitting, you had sent over some questions and you were talking about your favorite band. And I wanted to say you too, because they had such a deep impact on me when I was a teenager. And I feel like the Tell band- Tell me more about that. You, Why did I'd they- be- I think it was the lyrics. There's the lyrics just, they just reached me. And then the melodies just- ugh. They were just so incredible. They just spoke to me. I listened to them over and over again. Mm-hmm. And and at that time, I was writing a lot of poetry. And so they inspired me to write a lot of poetry. And when my I was first going to go see you 2 for the first time, I think I was in my early 20s. And, and I was, gonna, I was take, going with my sister. And a friend of mine said, oh, you should... You should take this ecstasy before you go. And I thought, I've never done anything like that. Okay, let's do it. And so my sister and I had it and we were in the parking lot and we came onto it right then. And we just had the most glorious time. We were just telling each other how much we loved each other and how much we loved having each other as sisters growing up. And we loved our brothers so much. And we realized, oh my God, we've been in the car for the last 30 minutes and the concert's going on and we need to run in there and get in there and see the concert. And we just had the best time ever. It was like we were bonding through... Our, seeing our favorite band we both loved them both so much together and it was just such an incredible and exciting experience <laughs> that is awesome what a great story <laughs> i was worried your guys were saying and you end up missing the concert right <laughs> no we couldn't do that but we and but even the part that we missed it was like it didn't matter we were having such a glorious time and mm-hmm. we'd heard the music our whole lives we'd been listening to it on repeat so it was like we didn't miss anything yeah it was it was awesome <laughs> are there you talked about your playlist are there albums or songs that mean a lot to you and your family that are like anthems or songs that you guys go to there's a certain playlist that i put on when i know say my parents are coming over and it'll have a little bit more rock and roll on it i they i will put on things more like david bowie my mom was a huge david bowie fan and Mm -hmm. so i'll put on a lot of david bowie when she comes over or they liked like leonard skinner and a lot of sure the old rock and oh who was it who am i thinking of young what is what am i <laughs> oh god the one who joined be stills in nash and young what oh neil young they love yes. neil young exactly okay. and so i'll put on i'll put that on a lot for them oh, that's that's awesome that's <laughs> great so what are you having the children what are your kids so my son Valentino is going to be turning 17 in the next couple of weeks and he plays the piano. Okay. He plays classical piano. He's a bit of a pretentious snob in that sense. So we give him a hard time about that, but he loves it. He absolutely loves it. And so when you talk about when you start and hearing people practice and hearing music come together and hearing how much effort it takes has been so wonderful because there's a beautiful piano in our house. And if my husband's not playing it, my son's playing it. And as he works on these intense classical pieces, I hear them evolve and I hear them move from the beginning and from a beginner's perspective of the song to a refined perspective of the song and this interpretation of the music that is just so beautiful to hear unfold. And now he's writing a lot of his own music, my son. And so he'll start playing something else. I say, son, what is that? I, I haven't heard that before. He says, because I just made it up. And that's so exciting to me that he's yeah, writing sure. music now and he's not just interpreting music. I think that's a big difference and I'm really excited. That's awesome. That's great. So creativity is running in the family. 
Indeed. And, and we are always not just inspiring it, but encouraging it. And as I've been on this journey of writing this book and selling the book, and I'm always talking about it with them, I'm talking about the pitfalls and the things that have upset me. And I let them see the whole spectrum of my emotion as I go through this process, because I say to, to them, the things that you want to do, especially the things you want to do as a creative person are hard. And it's only through doing these hard things that we actually experience the growth that that makes us value our lives and the joy. Yeah, I, it is. It's not supposed to be easy. <laughs> uh, and what is it? Tom T. Hall said that I love is a perfect example of why it shouldn't happen. He said he wrote it in 10 minutes and it sold millions of copies and he goes just, oh, well. that's that's not the way it's supposed to work that's <laughs> right. the exception that is awesome all right give us your website again mrdbooks.com all right i'm going to include that in the show notes and the book one more time the music we make by michelle renee de Bellis. i love that music we make all right before we get you out of here i gotta ask you the merry question Indeed. If you are a fan of Michelle's work and you're checking out this podcast, thank you. She has made you all very proud. I end every podcast with a merry question. Jay Armstrong from the Philadelphia area, when he was, he is now retired, but he was an honors English teacher and he would give his class the song Thunder Road and they would read the lyrics. They would talk about it as if it was a poem share the themes that Bruce explored. And then at the end of the two days, he would ask his class, does Mary get in the car? Michelle, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? When I listen to Thunder Road and when I read the lyrics, because I did, reading the lyrics is a separate experience from hearing the song. And when I did both, I put myself in the shoes of Mary. And there I am on the porch with my dress swaying. And I want to go because here I am in this town of losers and I've got nothing but losers at my porch. But Bruce made one mistake for me as Mary. He didn't make me feel like the most beautiful girl in the world. And at the end of the day, I'm not getting in the car with a man that doesn't make me feel like the most beautiful woman in the world. I, I, that's a valid, that's why my <laughs> wife says, my wife's no, he called her ugly. He's, he's going to slam the door in his face. <laughs> because one of the greatest things of my life has been that when my husband looks at me, we've been together for about 23 years. When he looks at me, he makes me feel like the most beautiful woman in the world, even to this day. And so I think everyone can make every woman feel that way in one way or another. And Bruce did not make Mary feel that way. So I say she did not get in the car. <laughs> that is a valid answer. I appreciate it. Always... You think she gets in the car? What is your answer to this question? So I'm a romantic and I believe yes. In my mind, Mary has always talked poorly about her looks. And that's why when she has talked about, I'm just, no one would want me. Mm. I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not beautiful. No one would want this, you know, this old person. And so in my mind, that's, he's saying, He's acknowledging what she's saying. Hey, mm. you're on a beauty, but hey, you're all by me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, but I'm, a, I believe, I believe this is a story of two people that need each other and find each other, but 40% of the people roughly say, no, she doesn't get in the car. <laughs> so you are not, it is almost 50, 50. 
Uh So yeah, I totally understand. And as you said, my wife would tell you very quickly, yes, she does not get in the car. He called her ugly. That's not going to (laughs) happen. There it is. Yes. Michelle, thank you. This was so lovely. It was Uh, great. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, I'm so happy. Please keep us posted. And if you need to promote the new book, I'd love to have you back on. Once you get news about the movie, we'll do it again. Listeners, go check out her website, check out the book. And let's all remember to be kind to each other. Let's be safe. And we will. And where am I? Yes. If you remember, open up your hearts. Love won't forsake us. Just let the music take us and carry us home. Oh, that's beautiful. Bye, everyone. There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, So if you want to skip this, I understand. But I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at setlustingbruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469-249-2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts, perfectly good podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Gags. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Listening Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Points.